This morning, we're going to look at a passage where God is working his purposes out. I asked Susan to have the choir sing this, and I think you'll see even more significance a little bit later in the sermon. But you see, that's really what the book of Habakkuk is about. It's about God working his purposes out. He's moving all of history to a culmination, and he's actively involved in human history. And he's actively involved in your lives. And that's what's really behind the book of Habakkuk is the sovereignty of God, that he's in charge. He's working his purposes out. This is our third of four studies out of the book of Habakkuk. And today we're dealing with a passage that primarily deals with the pronouncement of God's judgment on the Babylonians. Now, in case you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, I want to fill you in on it. The book of Habakkuk starts out with Habakkuk in a prayer of lament. He is looking at the nation of Judah, and he is seeing how the people had forsaken God. They had turned away from him. They paid no attention to his law. There was a lack of justice, increasing immorality, ongoing evil. It was a culture marked by oppression, violence, hostility, and on and on and on. Anger. One of the reasons I chose to preach this because I think it's so relevant to our society. Can't you relate to that? You know, you see, read the news, and it's just heartbreaking sometimes to see what's happening. Well, that's what it was like. It was a low point in the history of Judah. And the people had turned their backs on God. And Habakkuk had been praying. God is so bad here. When are you going to do something? How long do I have to keep calling out to you? And finally, God gives his answers. He said, well, Habakkuk, here's my answer. I am sending the Babylonians, and they are really bad people. They are fierce. They are treacherous. They are vile. And I'm sending them to be my agents of justice on the people of Judah. Now, needless to say, Habakkuk wasn't too happy about that message, and he begins to enter into dialogue with God. But there was a fundamental problem that he had. And the fundamental problem he had, you'll find it in this verse. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Now, here it is. Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Now, here's what was in his mind. He was thinking that the people of Judah were more righteous than the Babylonians were. And that simply wasn't the case. Same thing the Babylonians were doing. Violence, oppression, hostility, uh, greed, injustice. All of those things were taking place. And so God makes the decision that he is going to bring his judgment on these people. Now, we talked two weeks ago about the concept of justice. And our very uh, system of justice, concept of justice, comes from the nature and character of God. You see, when we study the Bible, we have to look at all of the attributes of God. Now, I will say, this is not one of the more popular things to talk about. When we talk about the justice of God, that he is a God of justice. And yet, on the other hand, isn't it comforting to know that wickedness and injustice will not go unpunished? See, sometimes God operates with temporal judgments, and that's what's going on in the book of Habakkuk. 
He's going to exercise a temporal judgment on the people of Judah. He's going to use the Babylonians to do it. But as we're going to see today, he's also going to exercise a temporal judgment on the Babylonians. They're temporal judgments throughout history. But remember, there is a final day of judgment. When Jesus Christ comes back as the judge and all people are brought before. Remember, the angels go out and bring them before and they're separated before him. There's a a day of judgment. I also reminded you when we talked about that, that thank goodness God is also a God of mercy. And I reminded you of these verses. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. We love that. But look at the rest of it. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. That's what this passage is about today. God is going to use the Babylonians as his agent of justice against the people of Judah. But he will also judge the Babylonians for their terrible sins. And so I'm going to read this passage. If you would open your Bibles with me to Habakkuk chapter 2, starting at verse 4. This is God's word. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous will live by his faith. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and take captive all the people. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen good and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your debtors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their victim. Because you have plundered many nations, the peoples who are left will plunder you. For you have shed blood. You have shed man's blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. You're going to notice he says that twice in this passage. Woe to him who builds his realm by unjust gain. To set his nest on high, to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many people, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by crime. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor, pouring it from wineskins until they are drunk, so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around you, and this grace will cover your glory. The violence you have brought to Lebanon will overwhelm you, and your destruction of animals will utterly defeat you. For you have shed man's blood, you have destroyed lands and cities, and everyone in them. 
Or what value is an idol since a man has carved it or an image that teaches lies? For he who makes it comes to his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life or to a lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There's no breath in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? And this morning, Lord, as we deal with this very stern passage of your judgment, help us to understand your nature, but also to understand that you're God who comes to us in mercy. And I pray that you open our eyes, even as we look at our own society today, and so many of the things that we see today sound familiar as we read this passage. We thank you that you're God and that the day is coming when the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the water covers the sea. We thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week I showed you that it was in the context of God's justice that God revealed to Habakkuk a fundamental principle of the Christian faith, and you find that in verse 4. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by his faith. That verse is the crux and the heart of the book of Habakkuk. That verse unlocks it. Because what you're going to see in Habakkuk, he is going to be moved. Remember I told you that his name means embracing or one who is embraced? What you're going to see is God coming to him and embracing him in his fear and taking him through until he comes to this place of faith. That's what the book is about. It's about faith. The righteous shall live by faith. This verse is quoted a number of times in the New Testament, as I told you last week. Paul in Romans uses this verse to show the biblical foundation of the gospel. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed from God, a righteousness that is from first to last, just as it is written. Here's the verse. The righteous shall live by faith. He uses again in Galatians to clarify that we are not justified by works of the law, but rather through faith. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. And so what this verse is, this verse offers the only two alternatives to life. Unbelief or faith. It's the watershed of life. And every one of us here and everyone who hears this sermon We're on one side or the other of that watershed. There is no middle ground. The proud, the presumptuous, the self-righteous, they will be brought low. But the righteous is going to live by his or her faith. So that verse becomes critical. Now we come to these words of God against the Babylonians and all who do the evils that are recorded here. Let me remind you what's happening again and sort of fill you in a little bit of history. While Habakkuk had been told that 
Judah was going to be invaded by the Babylonians, and that was an act of God's justice. He knew that that was coming. But now God, in this passage, reassures him that the Babylonians are going to be held accountable as well. And they, too, will face the judgment of God. It's going to be coming upon them. That day is going to happen. And let me tell you in history what did happen. Indeed, the Babylonians invaded Judah on three different occasions. The first time was in the year 605 B.C. And when Nebuchadnezzar led his armies there, they took a group of men, young men, exceptional young men. They took them captive and took them back to Babylon. Daniel, remember Daniel? Daniel was one of those men. Nebuchadnezzar brings the army back again in 597 B.C., sets up a puppet king. But it was not until 586 that the last siege came and the Babylonians came in. They broke through the city, tore the walls down, totally destroyed the city, including the temple. I mean, everything was wiped out and they took the people into captivity for 70 years. The judgment of God. But it wasn't too long after that, in the year 539 B.C., under the leadership of King Cyrus, the Persian king, that the Persians gathered around and defeated the Babylonians at a very, very important battle and eventually took the city of Babylon, which was considered invincible, and they totally destroyed it. So that it would not be built back up again. The judgment of God. Those are temporary judgments that God brings about. Now what we have in this entire section is structured with five lamentations. Or what are called five woe oracles. And in these woe oracles, these lamentations, God is bringing charges against the Babylonians. And let me give you the overriding principle. Here's, I mean, this is sort of the bottom line to the whole thing, is that everything that is evil will come under the judgment of God. That's the bottom line. Everything that is evil. And even though the Babylonians were allowed to flourish for a brief season, their end came. And that's the way it is with sin and wicked people. They may flourish for a while, but they will not last. Because God is just, and he will bring his judgment. Now, while we look at these woe oracles, and they apply specifically to Babylon, they also apply to any society, including our own. So I'm going to go through them quickly. The first of these woe oracles is found in verses 6 through 8. Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? The Babylonians had ruthlessly taken wealth that didn't belong to them. They went through theft, extortion, exploitation. Let me ask you, does that happen today? I mean, even in our own society, people who take advantage of vulnerable people, charge excessive interest rates, exploitative lending practices, theft, exploitation. God doesn't close his eyes to such things. And he says, because you plundered many nations, the people who are left will plunder you. And then you come to the second woe. 
Woe to him who builds his realm by unjust gain to set up his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. And again, in this case, the Babylonians were using ill-gotten wealth to build security. In particular, they were building the city of Babylon. Again, I told you it was considered invincible. It's huge. And they were stealing from people. They were committing fraud. They used excessive and abusive force to be able to get money. To make their own selves secure. And the illustration there is an eagle who builds its nest in inaccessible places. So the city of Babylon was going to be considered that way. However, their security would be replaced by devastation. The stones of the wall will cry out. And the beams of the woodwork will echo it. And then we get to the third of these woes in verses 12 through 14. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by crime. You see, they were known, the Babylonians were known for their violence, injustice, and criminal activities. They used oppression, deception, abuse, fear, intimidation, and corruption. And I will tell you this, when any civilization is built on the foundation of violence and injustice, it has already sowed the seeds of its eventual destruction. God will punish it. And look at what God says. Has not the Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? Then we come to the fourth woe, verses 15 through 18. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from wineskin till they're drunk so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. In its imperial ambition. God would make the nations drink from its metaphorical cup of anger. And that picture of nakedness is one of of shame and humiliation and destitution. And what they were guilty of was taking advantage of vulnerable people, using fear and intimidation, shaming, embarrassing people. But what's interesting here is the imagery, because notice what God says. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it's your turn. Drink and be exposed. And then look at this imagery. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around you and this grace will cover you. The cup from the Lord's right hand. A fundamental principle of hermeneutics, that is interpreting the Bible, is this. It's the most basic principle of all. Scripture interprets Scripture. So what is this business of the cup from the Lord's right hand? Well, if you go to the book of Revelation, you'll find it very clearly written there. In the book of Revelation, we're told... In chapter 14, verse 9, those who have gone under the judgment will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. Listen to it again. They will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured in full strength into the cup of his wrath. Let me take you years later to the Garden of Gethsemane. There is Jesus. There on the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's about to be betrayed. And he knows what's facing him. 
He knows the cross is before him. The agony of the cross. And what does he pray in that garden? My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. What was Jesus talking about? Listen, here is the very essence of the gospel. Do you see it? Jesus Christ drank of the wine of God's fury, which had been poured out in full strength into the cup of his wrath. He bore God's judgment in all of its fullness so that you and I would never have to do that. You see, the righteous will live by faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus took the cup for us so that we would never have to experience that. Well, there's one more woe, the fifth woe, which is on idolatry. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to a lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? I doubt many of you have your carved idols that you go home and worship. But remember what idolatry is. Idolatry is anything that we love and serve more than we love and serve Jesus. And probably all of us at one time or another, we're guilty of idolatry. Well, look. These are strong words from God. But tucked away, often you find this, tucked away in some of the strongest words, you'll find rays of hope. You'll find these beautiful glimpses of the gospel that come out. And that's certainly the case with Habakkuk. In fact, yes, there's stern words. And, you know, Paul writes... Behold then the kindness and severity of God to those who felt severity. And you pick it up here. You understand. That's the severity of God. The wrath of God. The judgment of God. Oh, but there's the kindness of God. He says, but to you, God's kindness. And so I want you to look tucked away in these. I want to just take two this morning. And the first one is from the anthem. For the earth will be filled with a knowledge of the glory of God as the waters covered the sea. God is working his purpose out as year succeeds to year. He's working his purpose out and the time is coming near. What is that talking about? All of history, now listen carefully, all of history is moving to the culmination of God's great plan of redemption with new heavens and a new earth. And when that happens, the Shekinah glory of God, that glory that came on the temple, that glory that fell on the tabernacle, that glory that Moses longed to see and God said, Moses, you can't handle it. The day is going to come when the glory of Christ fills the entire earth. And all that is wrong and all that is opposed to God and all of the struggles that we have in this life will be done away with forever and ever and ever. And only God's righteousness will be there and his glory will shine radiant splendor. And we get to behold Christ in all of his beauty and in all of his glory. That's what we have coming. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge 
of the glory of God, even as the waters cover the sea. Listen, no matter how difficult it is on this earth, God is moving things to a day when he makes everything right again. And I'm telling you, the older I get, I want it now. I want it now. There is so much pain. There's so much suffering in this world. So much heartbreak in this world. Oh, I long for that day when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Jesus in the high priestly prayer prayed, Father, I want those that you have given me to be with me so that they can behold my glory. And listen, the day is coming when we'll see it. And it fills the earth. In his imagery in Revelation, it says God's glory is so bright, we will have no need for sun or moon. That's the day coming. Now, I want to take you to one more passage. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. God is enthroned in his temple. Remember what I've said all through this. That the underlying theme here in the book of Habakkuk is the sovereignty of God. Do you see what this is saying? He is reigning over the universe he created. He is sovereign over all things. He is in control. Even when everything and everyone seems out of control, he is actively involved in human history. And let me tell you something. He's actively involved in our lives. He has a plan and a purpose for every one of us. And all through history and all through your life, God sovereignly is molding and shaping and conforming whatever happens in our lives to bring it in conformity with his perfect plan and will. And you see, one of the things you're going to see in Habakkuk, Habakkuk is going to face up the reality. It is really going to be bad. But you know, he came to that point where he said, But I look to my sovereign God. And when I look to my sovereign God, I can be at peace. We'll see that next week. Next week. That is the great hope that we have. It's interesting in Psalm 11, there's another verse very similar to this one. You know, what comfort it gives, the peace it gives. But the Lord is in his holy temple at all the earth. You know, he's in charge. It's okay. I've got it. But there's an interesting verse in Psalm 11, verse 3. It says, when the foundations are being destroyed. In other words, when everything's falling to pieces. The foundations are being, what will the righteous do? That's the question. You know what the answer is? The next verse. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne When you go through those times that it just seems absolutely overwhelming in your life. Remember, the Lord is in his holy temple. And he's got it. And he has you. Well, I can't end this section without one other quick thing that I want to show you. Because you have to move forward. And understand that earthly Babylon was indeed destroyed. But the scripture 
In the scripture, Babylon has another meaning. It has a symbolic meaning. In the book of Revelation, Babylon represented the evil world in opposition to God. All of the allurements of the world, all the things that stand against God in the world. And when you get to the 18th chapter of Revelation, you read these words, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit. And then it reads like this. So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. All the world represents that stands in opposition against God will go away. And it's interesting. It's in that context that God calls us. He issues a call. In John, it goes like this. First John. Do not love the world or anything in the world if anyone loves the world. See, that's Babylon. If anyone loves the world, anyone loves Babylon, the love of the Father is not in him. The world and his desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. And it's in Revelation 18 that God, in the midst of fallen, fallen, this Babylon the great, says this. Come out of her, my people. Can you hear that call? Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as the heavens, and God has remembered her iniquities. God calls us out of Babylon, and he calls us into a life of discipleship. When Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Deny Babylon, take up his cross, follow me, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? I hope this morning you're hearing God's call. Come out of her, my people. And I hope you're hearing Jesus as he says, come and follow me, because the righteous lives by faith. Our closing hymn this morning, listen to the words, Jesus calls us o'er the tumult of our life's wild, restless sea. I don't know if you feel that way sometimes. That's exactly what a backup was in. Wild, restless sea. Day by day, his sweet voice sounded. Christian, Follow me. Jesus calls us from the worship of the world's vain golden store, Babylon, from each idol that would keep us saying, Christian, love me more. Let's pray together. Lord, may we hear your call this morning as you call us to not love the world or anything in it. We hear your call to come out of her, my people. Don't take part in it. We hear your call, Jesus, to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow you. We hear that. And regardless of what comes, may we look forward to that day when we know that everything is going to be made right. And until that time and through all eternity, the Lord is in his holy temple. And we have nothing to fear. Lord, help us to learn the lesson of Habakkuk. 
that the righteous will live by his faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.